Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Hi, and welcome to episode eight. So today we took a long look at verse seven. Uh, and in particular, we were paying some close attention to the structure of the verse, how we sort of start with walking in the light and then with the cleansing of the blood. We were looking at the parallelism uh, between the light and the blood there at the beginning and the end. And then, of course, we came back to what is right there at the heart of this whole verse, the sort of surprising uh, focus again on fellowship with one another rather than just focusing on fellowship with God. So uh, I hope you enjoy episode eight, and let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Students of the Word. This is session number eight, and today uh, we are going to move on. We got about part of the way uh, through verse seven last time. Um, we've, we've not been doing our very neat one verse per session uh, lately, but that's totally okay. Um, we're probably going to do parts of two separate verses again uh, this week, I think. Um, but let's, uh, let's, as always, start by reviewing where we were here. So we were talking about walking in darkness uh, last time. Um, and that is... Um, uh, a really, really challenging verse. Um, uh, so let me just start start here with verse five and read through the parts that we've talked about or begun at least talking about. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, that's all the farther we got. We didn't <clears throat> get anything like all the way through uh, verse 7. Uh, our, mo- our primary focus on uh, uh, last time was on verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And you'll remember that last time we were talking about the sort of larger uh shape of verses five through seven here that in verse five we get this this sort of initial statement i was comparing it to like the set of mathematical givens right given that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all then therefore right we have what follows from that um we talked about the the way in which we have this absolute opposition between light and darkness right and just in case you were under any you know uh, misapprehensions about that, right? Um, we were looking at how how John emphasizes that in him there is no darkness at all, right? Just just emphasizing that. You, we were talking about last time about how you can't bring darkness with you into the light, right? You can't you can't have like you know darkness in you know in your cupped hands, and then you know you you're in a dark room and your hands are full of darkness, and you bring it out with you into the sunlight, and and it's still there, right? Um, that's not possible. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Um, the only way that you can be in the darkness with a light nearby is to hide from it, right? Is to is to separate yourself from it, um, to put some obstacle in between you and it, right? Then 
you can find darkness there, but you can't find darkness in the presence of the light. Um, and then we got to, I was, I had talked before about verse six, feeling like the sort of trap being sprung. And on the one hand, I don't want to lean too heavily into that metaphor, like the trap metaphor. Um, I mean, I was kind of uh, sort of teasing uh, John a little bit about that perhaps, but it's not actually a trap. Um, and I certainly don't think it's something that makes me feel trapped, though it kind of does. The reason I use that is that like the part of me that wants to avoid this truth feels trapped here, right? Um, John is being very plain and very sort of distressingly absolute, right? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we are with God, that we are in koinonia, in fellowship with God, we cannot also be walking in the darkness. It's not a, it's not an injunction. It's not a command, right? Um, don't you walk in the darkness once you're in fellowship with me, right? That's not how this works. It is a simple and logical impossibility. You cannot have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness. It's not possible. No more possible than bringing the dark, that darkness in your cupped hands with you and still holding it in your hands when you're out in the sunlight, right? It can't happen. It's not going to happen. If you are walking in darkness, you are by definition not in fellowship with God. The fact of your walking in darkness proves that you're not in fellowship with God because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, and that's what I meant, of course, when I was talking about it's being a trap, um, just in that, that metaphor, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, is very clear, very powerful, right? Very beautiful. Um, but the, uh, the sort of uncompromising conclusions to be drawn from it are lurking right there, right? And he nails it immediately. Um, we are simply lying to ourselves if we are walking in darkness and saying that we have fellowship with him. Now, um, one of the questions that came up last time was, what does walking in the darkness mean exactly? Does it mean, is it talking about our behavior, sinful behavior? Um, that's sort of my first assumption. Is that a right assumption? Um, is that is that is that the proper way to understand what he means? Because, I mean, walking in the darkness just introduces a second metaphor, right? We've got the darkness light metaphor, we're continuing the darkness light metaphor, and now we're adding the metaphor of walking, right? Walking around, specifically. Um, um, walking around in the dark. So this is not necessarily the metaphor of, like, walking on a journey, right? It's like walking around. Um, uh, the word is, like, peripatetic it's it's uh it's uh uh the word that from which the aristotelian philosophical school got its name from uh because when the aristotelian teachers were teaching their students they would like walk around with them while they were talking uh so that's the the, the that walking around that's that's the word there um if we uh if we walk around in the darkness and say that we have fellowship with him we lie so but again so what does walking in the darkness mean does it is, is this about our actions is this about our sinfulness? Um, again, that was my kind of premise, 
to begin with. Um, but that uh, was a question we had last time was a really great question. The thing that I was emphasizing was the shape of verse six, right? Um, notice how balanced verse six is. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we've got two halves of that statement, right? And each half is balanced in the same way. The thing that we say and the thing that we do, the thing that we say and the thing that we do, right? If we say that we have fellowship with him, right? And yet what we actually do is walking in darkness, then we lie, right? That's the actual fact about what we're saying, right? And do not practice the truth, right? And and there the, the verb, um, all right, to, uh, let's see, where are we? A little bit down here. Um, yes, uh, poyoman, uh, poyoman. And it's just like to practice, to do. It's, a, it's on the one hand, it's a very simple verb, um, but, um, but it's a verb that like very definitely refers to actions you perform. So um, the truth, and this is our first encounter with the word truth in this um, uh, in this book. And I think that that's, that's going to be a really, really important word as we go through. Um, and our first introduction here to it is about practice, about doing the truth, right? So the parallel says walking in darkness is not doing the truth. Um, so I do think it's about actions. I don't think that walking in the darkness, it's kind of tempting to think about walking in the darkness is like, maybe it's, um, just referring to like uh, being ignorant, right? Or something like that. Like, uh, you know, maybe it's about you know, darkness in the sense of a, a, a lack of knowledge, right? Um, it's not actually, when we talk about walking in darkness, he's not necessarily talking about um, committing sin, right? Or like living a sinful life. Um, and um, I find all such interpretations tempting, <laughs> because I don't want him to be talking about that, but I'm pretty sure that is in fact what he's talking about. And I think that that will become even more explicit as we move forward. Of course, um, if we peek ahead, we will see that um, in verse seven and eight and nine and 10, he is going to be focusing uh, all the way through on our sins. So I think it's pretty clear that our sins are the things that are, I don't think he's just changing the subject there in verse seven. Uh, in verse seven, he brings the two things more clearly together and talks about being cleansed from sin. Um, and I think, so yes, I do believe that um, when we look at the structure of this and his transition where he's, what he's, um, what he's lead, what he leads into from here, I think it's pretty clear that walking in the darkness is a metaphor, his metaphor um, for committing sin, not practicing the truth, um, not practicing the truth, though we'll see some interesting things about the truth as we move forward here in verse eight, which I think is, uh, or no, verse nine, sorry, um, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, no, I was right. Verse eight. Sorry. Yes. Verse eight. Um, but um, anyway, so, okay, so we've got that parallelism. We say we have fellowship and walk, we lie and do not do the truth. <clears throat> um, but the sort of the last thing that we were focusing on last time was the the promise, the promise of grace that is implicit there, right? It sounds, you know, we start with the negative, 
right? And it sounds, well, not exactly like a threat, right? If we're reading it carefully, um, but it sounds like, um, um, like an exclusion, you know what I mean? Right? Like, uh, what, what I mean by threat is that it sounds like God is threatening to exclude us, right? Um, like, if you walk in the darkness, I will not have fellowship with you, right? Forget about it. And if you pretend that you have fellowship with me while you're walking in the darkness, you're lying, right? Um, like, I'm, I'm, you know, like, I refuse to associate with you if you're walking in darkness, and I'm accusing you of lying if you try to make that. All right, that's sort of one, that's like the, the kind of threatening and negative way uh, to read this. But I don't think that that's the point at all. Um, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We lie if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. But, verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, what happens? We are cleansed from all sin, right? So I think the, the sort of nightmare reading of verse 6 is, if you commit sin, God doesn't welcome you, or worse. So you say you're a Christian, right? You believe that you have fellowship with God. You think that God has accepted you by grace, right? Isn't that lovely? But um, have you committed any sins lately? Because if you have, if you've walked in darkness, not just, you know, like a little accidental thing here or there, but if there are still things in your life that are not pleasing to God, um, again, the nightmare interpretation of verse six is, so that proves that actually you're not really a Christian and God has never accepted you at all. And you're living a lie, right? I mean, that's, I think people who get uh, really freaked out <laughs> by verse John, I think that's what some people hear. Um, if you say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You're not a real Christian. Like this, what is this John being like a gatekeeper, right? You're not a real Christian if you commit sin. Oh man, right? That's the, that I think is the, the kind of the problematic interpretation of verse six. And it sounds like we're being cast out. It sounds like we're, you know, the very possibility of our reception of grace is being challenged, right? Um, if that's going to be the sort of litmus test, like how do you know if you're really a Christian? Well, do you still sin? Yes. Ooh, bad news. Because God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So if you're still committing sin, you don't have fellowship with God. So bad news, my friend, you're not really a Christian. God doesn't actually love you or accept you. Right? I mean, again, like that's the nightmare interpretation of verse six, right? I think that's the thing that makes everybody uneasy, right? That makes everybody, that, and, and I, I, I've seen it. Like I've seen it happen. I remember in college Bible studies, um, this, these verses coming up and people being like, <laughs> I'm not even gonna think about that. Right. Um, but I think verse seven, uh, makes it clear that the, and then further verses eight through 10 add to the fact, um, that, um, this is not, um, uh, that you, that he's not talking about that, 
Right. He's not talking about that. Oh, and Serena, I agree with you. Um, there's another troubling interpretation, right? Um, which would be that, like, since you're a Christian, you don't and can't sin, which means if you're still having, like, any, like, impulses that you have or things that you must be okay because you've been accepted and, you know, you're in the light now and there's no darkness at all in the light. And so, therefore, everything that's in you must be light, Right. Yeah, that would be the other <laughs> troubling interpretation of that. Um, my suspicion is that demographically, more people are worried about the first one than the second one. But I agree that that second one, if played through, would be very, very <laughs> troubling indeed, right? But again, anyway, look where he goes. And this is where we finished last time, looking at the just the 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 you know version of grace, you know, the the, the treatment of grace that we get in this. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, cleanses us. That's what I want to really emphasize. Again, first we get the sin thing, right? Which again is what I think makes it so clear that the walking in darkness, we're talking about sin there, right? Um, uh, the light, he's... He said it in one way, like in one metaphorical way, right, about light and darkness before. And now he's explicitly talking about blood and cleansing, right? Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin. Um, and I, I, I think that's, that's parallel, right? He's sort of shifting. Uh, he's saying the same thing in a different way, but I think he's talking about the same thing. Um, that if we walk in the light, he's not just using this as an alternative the emphasis the 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 leading up the fact that it leads up to cleansing at the end doesn't just is it's not just a separation of the sheep and the goats right those of you who walk in darkness are over there right you're on god's left hand and you're 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 you know not actually accepted right um but those of you who walk in the light are good right that's not what's because he talks about cleansing right if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? Um, that's not a prerequisite for walking in the light. That is the consequence of walking in the light. If we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? Do you have um, darkness? in you? Are you walking in darkness? Are you surrounded by darkness? Um, there's, there's a fix for that, right? Step out into the light. That's all you have to do. Step out into the light. Because of course, it turns out that God is light and in him, is, there is no darkness at all. Um, sounds in one way, it sounds almost like a threat, right? Like if you are darkness, you are not welcome in God's presence, but it turns out not to be a threat. It's a promise, right? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And what does the light do to darkness? It drives it away. It removes it, right? Um, the cleansing metaphor is fascinating, right? The, the parallel with the cleansing metaphor, um, because, of course, there can be no more perfect cleansing, right, than darkness being just removed by light, right? There's no memory of it. There's no remnant of it when uh you know if you have a closed box 
that's you know and you can kind of in a dim room right you peek in and you see there's darkness in there right well you bring it out into the sunlight and open the box right and it's not like it's still a little gray and smudgy like all the darkness didn't quite come off it or something like that it's just everything is open everything is revealed the darkness is simply gone right simply gone and that is what the blood of jesus his son cleansing us from all sin is being compared to god is light and in him is no darkness at all if you come into the presence of god if you walk in the light as he himself is in the light then the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin um yeah yeah so serena is asking about the cause and effect yeah well let's look at this let's uh let's let's look at the ifs and stuff here so let's look at the greek in verse seven here um so let's just review here right so verse six right if we should say that we have fellowship with him and yet in should walk in the darkness right there it is peripatomen um we lie right first person plural again we lie and do not practice there's poyomen our word, do not uh, practice the truth. Aletheia, very important word. Um, if, however, in the light we should walk, and then we got the same word, peripatoman, there. So we're not talking about a different kind of walking, right? The walking metaphor is, is the same. This is a question of are we walking around in the darkness or are we walking around in the light, right? Um, as he, as if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, um, then we have koinonia, again, same word. We have koinonia with one another and the blood, haima, uh, of Jesus, the son of him, cleanses us from all sin. Um, so um, uh, it certainly seems to be, and anybody who knows Greek better than I, which is very, very many of you, of course, um, is I um, this seems like a, a fairly straightforward if then proposition. If we walk in the light, then these two things are true, right? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, uh, see, Serena, I can't see how you can, how, how one could say that the fellowship and the cleansing are prerequisites for walking in the light. If we walk in the light. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, looking at the subjunctive there, Patrick is suggesting something. That the, um, yeah, yeah. Aiden is suggesting that it's sort of an ongoing thing. Um, uh, the verb form there, if, uh, we are ever walking in the light. Like if we're walk, like it's it's about the continuous walking in the light. Um, okay, right. So Patrick is pointing out that walking, parapetomen. This is in the subjunctive, um, the subjunctive mood, and the other verbs are in the indicative mood. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us uh, from all sin. Um, uh, Yes. So that's, that, that's, it seems to me, and again, those of you who know how the subjunctive is used in the Greek, please correct me, but that's exactly what makes it seem so obviously to me like an if clause, right? Like, should we walk in the light? 
right? If we should walk in the light, like in, in the theoretical circumstance in which we are walking in the light, then these other things are indicatively true, right? Um, that's a pretty normal subjunctive usage there. Um, uh, so that like it's posing the hypothetical first. That is the hypothetical that we are walking in the light as he is in the light. And then um, should that be true, then these other things are simply true in the indicative. Um, uh, so I think it's an if, I, I, I think that strikes me just as a really simple um, if clause, you know, hypothetical if clause proposition, which means that the cause and effect, so our, I don't know, cause and effect necessarily, but like the walking in the light comes first and the fellowship and the cleansing come after. Um, so again, totally ready to be corrected by people who understand uh, Greek uh, moods. <laughs> like that sounds weird. Uh, Greek, the moods of Greek verbs uh, better than I do. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's how, that's how the verb, the verb moods seem to me to map out there. Um, so that would seem to seem to affirm that. Let's see what, let's see what other translations do. Let's, let's, let's look forward. Let's see. So the King James says, um, if we walk, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us. Um, so that seems to follow the same thing, the NIV. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Yeah, they construct it as an if clause in the same way. Uh, the NRSV, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. Yep, same thing. Um, CEV, ah, notice what they do here. They talk about living in the dark and living in the light. So they take the uh, uh, peripatoman, the walking around metaphor, and they're literalizing the metaphor. This, by the way, is my least favorite things about these. This is what I like when I talk about the um, how like there are some translations which notice the interpretive step that's being taken here, right? Um, they're basically saying, okay, we believe that what he means by this metaphor, the walking around metaphor, right? He means that it's about how we live. And so therefore, they're just going to put that, right? Keep on living in the dark. But if we live in the light, right? And um, it's not that I don't think that's a bad interpretation. Like I'm, I think I'm down with that reading. I, that does seem to me to be uh, the kind of thing that he's getting for, getting at here. But um, uh but there's a lot of, um, but you, you can see what makes me, unco what always makes me uncomfortable just as a like literary person who likes reading things closely is that it simplifies things. I, that is metaphors often, they're metaphors for a reason. Um, a metaphor, how a metaphor works, as I've talked about before, is you take one thing and you take another thing and you just kind of put them next to each other linguistically. That's what a metaphor does, right? God is light. So there's God and there's light. And we just put those things together. And as we discussed, when we were discussing that verse, that suggests many different meanings, right? Um, there's not just like one single meaning that that has, right? Um, and so you kind of, you want to let the metaphor breathe, right? You want to let it live, uh, and let it live in the minds and hearts of readers, right? Um, that's kind of, that's like, I guess, 
why you do metaphors, right? Um, and um, uh, anyway, so that's why I, I always, again, I'm not, it's totally like, I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but this is why I personally dislike translations, which do that kind of thing, which sort of, no, they don't just translate the words, but interpret the metaphors for us. Um, because even if they're right, um, uh, which I don't always agree with their interpretation of the metaphor, it is necess- like necessarily simpler. Like you're, you're, you're exactly, uh, the interpretive translation closes down the metaphor's rich possibilities, Serena. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, uh, by just rendering it living in the dark so that the person who's reading this, you know, as their Bible translation doesn't even know what the metaphor is, right? They don't even know that he used the metaphor walking around. They think he just said living in the dark and that's not what he said, right? It might be one of the things that he meant, right? But it's not what he said. So anyway, this, it's my own deal, right? I, I, but this is why I, I'm, uh, I dislike the CEV. It's why I dislike the NIV. The NIV does this too. Not as heavily as we have seen, um, uh, as we can see already uh, as the CEV um, and as like the message. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Aiden, so yeah, no, I, I agree. So Aiden is pointing out that um, doing this with metaphors, like interpreting metaphors, does depend on cultural knowledge a new audience might not have. Right. So when I talk about letting the metaphor breathe, well, um, if we don't have the same associations with like light or walking around as they did, right, then it could be communicating something like completely strange and weird to us, which is like way beyond. So like in that sense, Aiden, you're right to say that like a a metaphor can be left like to breathe too much. Right. If we if we use it as a way merely to like free associate with our own ideas and things that are like in our own experience in ways that are totally disconnected from what, you know, the author could possibly have meant or been thinking about there, then that can be problematic. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, um, Though Aiden does admit that this doesn't seem really to be one of those, one of those instances. Uh, Right. I agree. Um, Yeah. But so Aiden, but that's why my, um, my ideal translation would be one that still just tells us what he says and then gives us a footnote. (laughs) That's what I would want. That's what I would want. Um, I would rather be equipped, uh, you know, equipped to understand and contextualize the uh, original metaphor. Um, um, but I agree. There are certainly instances like the King James is uh, is uh, pretty far on the uh, the opposite end of this particular spectrum, right? Where it will just give a, a metaphor and without, you know, like it'll just you know give us the literal thing. I mean, I, I've already told the you know story about how confused and amused I was, you know, to read about the bowels of mercies. We're going to get bowels uh, in First John. Uh, the bowels are going to come up. <laughs> We're going to be talking about bowels uh, in, uh, what was it, chapter three, I think. Um, We'll get to bowels. And again, if you don't know what associations, you know, uh, they had with bowels in the first century, right? You're just thinking about your large intestine. um, It's going to be weird. Like it's it's going to seem really strange and it's not going to be a really illuminating metaphor for you, right? So I absolutely do acknowledge that. Um, 
but still, <laughs> still, even uh, if I have to, if I have to take one of my two dangers, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the second one every day, right? Every day. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. Uh, but I didn't get so far as if we live in the light as God does, we share in life with one another, and the blood of Jesus, uh, his of, of his son Jesus, washes all our sins away. So even here uh, in the CEV, we still have that same if then um, uh, structure. Uh, to the thing. And then what do we get in the message here? Um, okay, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him, whew, okay, and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, hmm, now that's quite different from what it says. We also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sin. Okay. That's a lot more I could talk about there, but uh, the if-then thing still does work. They're still rendering the uh, the um, the uh, if-then thing. If we walk in the light, we also experience a shared life with one another and the sacrificed blood of Jesus Christ purges all our sin. So yeah, anyway, yeah, okay. So everybody seems to agree on the basic if-then structure. All the translations, that is, seem to agree on the basic if-then structure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I want to come back to that. Uh, he himself is in the light part, though. Um, well, no, let me, first of all, let me make sure we're okay with the subjunct, with the subjunctive stuff and everything. Um, I, this is what, that's, this is why I believe that this is a promise that seven has turned around and made verse five into a promise instead of a threat, right? God is light and in him, is no, there is no darkness at all. That's not a threat. That is not a threat of banishment. That is a promise of cleansing, right? That if we walk in the light, if we come into the light, then uh, the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin, right? The darkness will be removed. We will be full of light because we will be with, we will be walking in the light um, and there will be no shadow. And on the one hand, and when we talked about what does it mean, God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. We were talking about um, like nothing being hidden, nothing being secret, right? Everything being open, everything being revealed. That also kind of of sounds like a threat would apply to us, right? Like stepping into the light in that sense might not automatically feel like a good thing, but I think it clearly is a good thing right? It clearly is a good thing. And again, this comes down to a simple logical application of the basic logical structure. Um, John loves simple logical structures, right? Two absolute oppositions. And uh, uh, there's no simpler element of uh, logic than the tautology, right? Um, Thing A is unquestionably thing A, (laughs) <laughs> right like and that's it's one of john, tautology john loves tautologies right he loves to simply restate things and he loves to show 100 percent opposition like 180 degree opposition uh of two 
things, right? Light and darkness, that's what we're getting here, right? Um, if we are afraid of the light, don't want the light, right? Wouldn't want things about us revealed. What's the message, right? The message is, but if we show ourselves in the light, we will not be disgraced. We will not be ashamed. We will be cleansed. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, it's possible to walk in the darkness, right? It's possible to hold on to sins. But you can only do that by stepping out of the light, by stepping out of fellowship with God, right? Um, but if you walk in the light, right? If you bring that darkness into the light, the darkness will be eliminated by the light as sin is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Um, but now let's go back. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, what's that about as he himself is in the light. And that's definitely what we see here in the Greek, right? If we should walk in the light as he is in the light, right? We notice it's the same exact phrase, right? Entofoti, uh, entofoti, in the light, in the light. Um, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as he is in the light, Who's he? Uh, presumably the same him that we had in verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him, right? Which then brings us straight back to verse five, right? God is light and in him, um, there not is none darkness, right? There's no darkness at all. Um, so we're clearly talking about God and the fellowship that we have with God. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Wait a second. Um, walk in the light as he himself is in the light. I thought he was light. God is light, right? What does he mean now by saying as he himself is in the light? What does that do? What does that, how does that contextualize? the walking around in the light there at the beginning of verse seven, what, what, what it is that we're supposed to be doing. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Well, he's in the light because he is light, right? His relationship to light seems to be something like the relationship of like the sun and the light, right? That come, yeah, like it's, what is he emphasizing here? As he himself is in the light. Well, he himself is in the light in an absolute way. He is light, right? He's not just full of light. He's not just bright right? He is, um, uh, there's an identity between him and light for, in verse five, right? But then as he's identified, 
God is identified with light in verse five, but then in verse seven, we say, as he himself is in the light. Now, if um, this is, uh, if this is giving you, oh, Stephen, that's really cool. Stephen is thinking back to the, what I had just been saying before about um, not wanting to step into the light for fear of like feeling that you will be ashamed, right? If the light is shine, you know, shines upon uh, the darkness within you. Um, Stephen was quoting from Proverbs 25, four, take away the impurities from the silver and there comes out a vessel for the Smith, right? Um, you know, so if the metal is afraid of the furnace, Stephen says it's, it never gets purified. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Yes, there is definitely purification. Now, cleansing is the uh, is the metaphor that he uses. But but yes, yeah. Anyway, okay. So back to light here. Um, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, right? If we are, um, so what does this tell us about what we have to do, right? How is he in the light? He is the light. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is giving me some like very definite um, Trinitarian feelings, right? I don't know how to describe Trinitarian feelings, um, but um, I'm, uh, I'm, my, (laughs) my Trinity alarm is going off here, um, uh, which is only appropriate as the, like, the, the, the clearest statement of the doctrine of the trinity like the one place in the bible that most explicitly um supports the doctrine of the trinity is in first john we're going to get to it um uh yeah but um um yeah my trinisense is tingling aiden that's exactly it that's exactly it um that is to say first he says that god is light god is identified with light and then he says that god is in the light. God himself is in the light, right? So God is light and he is also in the light. And of course, this should be reminding us again of John chapter one, right? We saw John chapter one echoes way back from verse one, right? Of first John one, um, you know, the word was with God and the word was God, uh, that kind of pairing. It's beginning to sound exactly like that kind of pairing, right? God is light, but God is also in the light. Um, and so, yes, I think that uh, we are being set up for the blood of Jesus, his son here, the son of God, right? Um, and notice that that's what emphasized, that's, that is what is emphasized here. He doesn't say Jesus Christ, that he is not emphasizing the messianic purpose of Jesus here. Um, what he emphasizes is the sonship of Jesus, right? Jesus's relationship with God. Um, Jesus, his son, at the end part of this verse. And so I do think that um, we're getting a little Trinitarian nudge. I think he's talking about Jesus. So I believe that he himself refers to Jesus here. But of course, the antecedent of the pronoun is God. Right. So there's the Trinity in John's pronoun references, right? Which I mean, I absolutely think that John is kind of uh, uh, is kind of playing with um, something like God the Father is light, but Jesus is in the light. Uh, yeah, yeah, essentially, yes. Um, 
but the notice at the very least one has to admit that John is forcing upon us in these two verses, five and seven, this, um, this same exact kind of paradoxical thing that, that we get in John chapter one, right? The, the word was with God and the word was God. Well, is it with God or is it God? Right? Yeah. Both, right? Uh, Might appear contradictory, doesn't normally work, but John insists on both of them being true. And the same motion is happening, logical motion is happening here. God is light. God is also in the light, right? Does that seem like a contradiction? Cope with it, right? That's that's what he's he's insisting that both of those things are true. And again, I think if we get a, 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 not a hint, it's not like he's, it's not a guessing game, um, but if we get a pointer, to what he's talking about within the context of this verse. I think it's the Jesus, his son reference here. Um, we have God, the father and Jesus, his son. Um, and they are both light and in the light. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, this of course would also apply really well when we're told to walk in the light. What are we given here? Um, Aiden, I think it was you last week who said the very sensible thing, which I never came back to talking about. And I wanted to make sure we do that today. Um, what does he, what does that mean? Like it, it's kind of vague, right? If we walk in the light, okay. What does that mean? Right. I mean, like practically, like, so today what do i do today what does walking in the light look like how do i know if i'm walking in the light um as um sort of a logical premise it works right and is very attractive but if um but as a practical instruction it doesn't seem really helpful right um for how do i apply that exactly um, how do I know if I'm walking in the darkness? How do I know what walking in the light looks like? What should I stop doing and start doing in order to stop walking in the darkness and start walking in the light, right? Um, it's a very good and a very legitimate question. Um, and I think that the answer to it is contained in that sort of Trinitarian vagueness uh, in that second phrase, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. So what does walking in the light mean? Um, walking like Jesus, imitating Jesus, that I think is one implication of that construction there. Um, again, by first solidly identifying God with light and then separating, logically separating God from light, right? You can't be in light if you're, if the if those two things are identical, right? Um, so he's logically separating them in order to say that one is in the other, uh, even though that statement, of course, means that they're together, right? Um, so yes, I do think that we're talking about Jesus the Son versus God the Father, not versus, as if they're in opposition. This is distinguishing Jesus the Son and God the Father in a sense. Um, I say in a sense because, again, it's not like he's making a heart, you know, like this is only about Jesus and it has nothing to do with God. Of course it has to do with God, right? That's the way the Trinity works. You don't separate it. Um, just like you don't say, well, okay, hang on, hang on, but is the word God or is the word with God, right? Yes, it's both. Um, is God light or is God in the light? Yes, both. That's both true. Anyway, but I do think that one thing we can take from this, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, 
we have an example. We've been given an example. Without the life of Jesus, it is a little bit less clear, isn't it? Right? Um, God is light, and there is no darkness in him. No imperfection, no sin, no unrighteousness has any place in God's presence. We talked about this last time. Just ask Isaiah, right? Uh, ask others who have had, a, you know, the sort of visionary experience of the presence of God. Ask Moses, right? They'll tell you no place for darkness or impurity in the presence of God. Or more ominously, as I said last time, ask Nahab and Abihu. Uh, um, ask Ananias and Sapphira. They'll also tell you that there is no place for darkness in the presence of God. There's no place for unrighteousness in the presence of the holy God. Um, and that, while terrifying, is not necessarily helpful in trying to understand, like, so what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? Um, but um, we do get help there, I think as he himself is in the light, walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Um, Jesus has walked it first. Through the incarnation, we have been given an illustration, right? Teaching, yes, but also an illustration. What does it mean to walk in the light? And remember, let's go back. Um, remember what he said about the word of life stuff originally, right? This stuff that we know, that we've heard and seen and gazed upon and handled, right? The word of life stuff and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. Um, remember about the, and this is about the life and we'll come back to the life later on when John comes back to it. But remember like God was in the business of, of revealing, right? Manifesting, making things known, Right. And that's, that's that uh, that manifested that word, which was repeated twice there in verse two, beginning and end of verse two, the opening and closing of those parentheses there being that word revealed. Um, yeah, walking in the light, that also was revealed. That was manifested to us, right? Eternal life has been manifested in Jesus, right? Walking in the light has been manifested, has been revealed in Jesus. So we are not without we are not left without clue. We are not left without instruction as to what walking in the darkness looks like, right? We have an example. We've had a revelation of what this looks like, and it looks exactly like Jesus. And when we do walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, now, notice I've been skipping what is literally the central part of this whole verse, right? I, I wanted to kind of deal with the, the kind of logical framework of it. But in order to do that, I've been skipping over the thing that he mentioned. What happens if we walk in the light? What is the first consequence of our walking in the light? Consequence of, and by the way, also evidence of, I think perhaps, having fellowship with one another. He did it again. Not only did he do the same kind of thing, he did the same kind of thing about the same thing, the fellowship again. So, um, of course, I'm thinking back to verse three, right? And you'll remember, we had this long, long buildup, right? Before we got the verb of the sentence, right? And the verb was proclaim, right? What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And then we were ready for the proclamation. But instead of the proclamation, we got the reason for the pro proclamation, like why the proclamation is important, like what should come of it right? 
and what should come of it was, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So that we humans can be in koinonia with each other. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So just as we have fellowship with the Father and with Jesus, so we have fellowship with one another. And this is the, that's the purpose. This is the, this is the why. This is the explanation. Why are we bothering with the proclamation? What's the point of the proclamation? So that you may have fellowship with us. And that was a bit of a surprise. A bit of a surprise that he went in that direction. And then a secondary surprise um, that he, um, that that's what the point was, right? Not that, notice he doesn't talk about being cleansed of your sins here, right? He doesn't say that that's the point. Um, we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you can have fellowship with us. That's the point. And he comes back to it and puts it in that same primary spot here. If we walk in the light as he is himself is in the light, I was kind of ready for, like, if we just, if he'd skipped that, if he had just said, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I'd have been totally down with it, right? <laughs> totally down with it. He would have, he would have gone almost just where I would have expected him to go. But that's not where he goes. We have fellowship with one another. Um, that's the first thing. Oh, and by the way, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Kind of exact, notice it's exactly like he did in verse three, right? What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you might have fellowship with us. Oh, and P.S., um, by the way, we also have fellowship with the father and the son, right? And I was talking about how he seems to be kind of burying the lead, right? Um, he, he does exactly the same thing here, right? He puts in the primary place our fellowship with one another. Um, that's really important, right? That seems very, it just really emphasizes. John very much cares about their fellowship one with another, but notice this is not an injunction. Um, he doesn't say, like, there's no therefore here. He's not saying, you know, if we like walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Therefore, my brethren, have fellowship one with another. That's not what's going on here. Um, Alex, as you say, fellowship and cleansing are peers in the syntax. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we have fellowship. Uh, sorry, no, this is the wrong one. Seven, here we go. If, however, in the light we should walk as he is in the light, we fellowship we have and the blood cleanses us from all sin. Those are the, the have fellowship and cleanses. Those are the two parallel verbs that are the, what happens, right? They're the things that happen if we walk in the light, if we walk. So fellowship with one another, fellowship with one another is a consequence of walking in the light. It's not a prerequisite for it. It's not a thing that we should really think about and take seriously, right? Once we're walking in the light, it is just as much a consequence as being cleansed of our sins. 
Think about that for a minute. Believers being in fellowship with one another, those who are walking in the light, having fellowship with one another, is in John's mind as inevitable a consequence as our sins being cleansed from us is a consequence of walking in the light. Just as the light drives away the darkness, you know, without thinking about it, right? Without additional effort. It's not a separate step, right? It just happens, right? Um, Having fellowship with one another is also the result. And Aidan, I agree, it being put in first seems like in John's mind, it's even more important. Yeah, in both places, verse three and verse seven, the fellowship with one another is put in the primary place, right? Now, again, I'm not trying to say that being cleansed from our sin by the blood of Jesus, his son, not, is not important. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying having fellowship with the father and his son, Jesus Christ, is not important. You know, not saying that. But to John, the two things are right there in both cases. There's no distinction that's made between the two of them. And it's, 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 it's all one picture. It's all one picture, right? Um, it's tempting. I find it tempting anyway. To, I find it tempting to think of, it's like your in-laws, right? Um, you get married to God and then you have all these in-laws now, right? So like, that's like what other Christians are like, right? You know, you're married to, and so you're all kind of now that like, you know, it's just like when you get married, you're like, well, okay. Like, you know, I've bound myself to you. And so therefore along with that, you know, comes this connection to all those other people who are connected with you, right? And since I love you, I will like do my best to accept them also, right? I mean, this is, I I know this, I think it's how a lot of us often think about other believers, right? That they're like the baggage that comes along with God, (laughs) right? Like, like, like your in-laws, right? Like your in-laws, you can't choose them, right? You didn't choose them, right? Uh, you chose, you know, chose the person you married, um, you know, maybe despite the other people that were with them. But in any case, like, and that's often the case. I think that's often the case in the modern church, right? That people will accept God despite all of those embarrassing, you know, relatives that he comes along with, right? But, you know, you do love him. So you're going to try to, you know, get along for his sake, you know, with them. Right. Um, right. I mean, come on, like admit it. This is kind of how there have at least been times that you've thought about other believers this way. Right. Um, what John is saying here is radically different from that, radically different from that. And of course we don't, um, we don't have to think too long to realize that there was a problem with that in-law analogy in the first place, right? That the in-law analogy radically misses the point. Um, Who is God's spouse exactly? Whom is is the lamb marrying there in Revelation? Turns out it's not you. 
singular, right? I'm not marrying God myself. The church is marrying God, right? Um, Other members of the church are not my in-laws. They're me, (laughs) right? They're part of me. We collectively are the spouse of God. They're as much married to God as we are. They are a part of us. That's what it means to be married to God. You can't, and you can't get married to God without that, right? Um, God is marrying the church. So it is, it's as impossible as saying you can bring darkness into the light, that you can be in the darkness and the light at the same time. It's as impossible as that, as to say, um, I'm married to God, but I don't have any, you know, intrinsic relationship to all other believers. No, you do, because it is all of the believers together that God has married. So if you are married to him, then by definition, you are bound, you are in koinonia, you are in fellowship, you are identified with everybody else. Um, that's that inescapable, but I, I feel, especially to modern Christians, very uncomfortable thing is what he is pointing to. It is inescapable. If this, then that. If we walk in the light, then our sins are cleansed. Hooray! If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We are bound. We are one with other Christians. And that doesn't get so much of a cheer from a lot of people, right? Um, trying to wrap your mind around this is, I think, very important um, and very difficult because there's another logical conclusion, which is very uncomfortable here. If you don't have fellowship with other believers, you're walking in darkness by definition. It's impossible. It's impossible not to be in fellowship with one another when you're walking in the light. Why? Very simple mathematical correlation, right? If you are joined together with God, then logically you are joined together with everybody else who is joined together with God. It's not, that's not separate, right? If A equals B and A equals C, then B equals C, QED, right? And that's the kind of logic that John seems to be, um, John seems to be applying here, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Stephen, exactly. Stephen is recalling the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly it. Um, Yeah. So, Aiden, I agree. Let's come back for a second to that word koinonia, because we've now gotten it a bunch of times, right? And let's see, let's look at how John is using it. So, going back, the first time we saw it was there in verse three, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So 
the the function, right? Like, so let's say we we have no idea, right? Let's start from a completely blank slate about the word koinonia, right? What on earth does it mean? What are we having with each other exactly? Well, the first thing that he does there is he forms this identity. Like he says that the um, the relationship that we have with the Father and with the Father and with Jesus is the same thing as the fellowship, the relationship we have with each other, right? He, he's, he uses the same word, right? You have fellowship with us. We have fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, right? So he, the very first thing he tells us about the word fellowship, by the way, that he uses it is, is putting those two, identifying those two things with each other, our relationship among ourselves and our relationship with the Father and the Son. And so then now, how does he use it? He comes back and uses it several times. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we say that we have fellowship with him, so back to whatever, so if, if we, if we say we have that thing, that relationship with him, whatever that relationship is, which is the same that we have with one another, right? According to verse three, right? If we say we have that with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie, right? So we are told that that, um, that relationship with him is, uh, is logically incompatible with walking in darkness, right? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then it's, again, the logical conclusion would be then we have fellowship with God, right? <laughs> but instead he says, then we have fellowship with one another. Once again, and even more absolutely identifying our fellowship with one another with our fellowship with God, right? Notice he like substitutes it. Again, logically speaking, if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie. But if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with blank. You know, right? If you put that in like the SATs or something, it's obvious what the right answer is. Then we have fellowship with God, right? Logically, no problem, right? Um, but that's not what he says. Then we have fellowship with one another, right? He So he uses, it's like he's using them interchangeably, right? That's that's how identified those two things are, right? Um, yeah, so, um, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come back to that, Patrick. I hope maybe not this week as it's turning out. I was hoping to start on verse eight, but I think I'm not going to start on verse eight this week. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm sorry, Patrick was talking about faith and works and I'm going to, we're going to totally get there, but uh, we get there when we talk about verse eight. Anyway. Okay. But Aiden coming back to the fellowship thing. So the f- most dramatic thing that I think happens with the word koinonia here in verse seven is the, even stronger reaffirmation of that like identity between having fellowship between the relationship we have with one another koinonia and the relationship that we have with God and with Jesus koinonia. Right. Um, They're so those relationships are so like that word is the same. He's just like swaps it here. Um, But but what is the nature of that relationship then? That relationship, which is, so we we know the parallel between the two of them or the identity between the two of them, right? Koinonia with God, koinonia with each other. But that doesn't necessarily tell us what koinonia is, right? What it means to have koinonia with anybody, right? Um, 
Okay. All right. So accepting that koinonia with God and koinonia with each other is, it's the same thing, but it's the thing, right? And the closest thing that we're getting here so far is the opposition to walking in darkness. If we say we have fellowship and walk in darkness, we lie, right? So, um, but if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Um, So it's the combination of verse five and six that I think gives us a clear sense of what koinonia means. The first time we've had any real definition. Again, I don't think verse three tells us exactly what fellowship means. Um, It tells us something about, again, about that link, right? About our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. And that that, that those two of them are bound very, very closely together or practically identified with each other. Um, But, um, but here we do get more. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Okay. So fellowship with him is logically incompatible with walking in darkness because he is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. So the fellowship clearly means, um, uh, coming together, right? There is proximity involved in that idea of koinonia, it seems to me, right? Um, I mean, you can't be near the source of light and still be walking in darkness. Again, like that's impossible, right? So having fellowship with him means being near him, clearly, at the very least, it means being near him, right? Um, But I think it means more than that. It means being in him, God is light and in him, where is there no darkness? There's no darkness in him. And notice in him makes a comeback in verse seven. Walk in the light as he himself is in the light, right? So that being in the light is the, so it's not, I do think that proximity being brought near to each other is one of the things that seems to be connected with that, but it's more than just, it is more than mere proximity, right? there's a kind of a unity here. There's an in-ness, right? Where darkness ex- excluded is not just nearby the light. It is in the light that there is no darkness. Jesus himself was in the light. How are we, in what manner are we supposed to walk in the light? As he himself is in the light. So you walk in the light by being in it, not standing near it, not being acquainted with it, not meditating upon it, not, you know, you are brought into the light. And that's in context, what having fellowship with him from verse six seems to mean. Um, Proximity. Yes very close proximity, right? Um, Unity. This is why I keep coming back to marriage, right? The whole idea of two things joining together. Um, And of course, you know, the metaphor of marriage and the bridegroom and stuff is one of the dominant metaphors of the New Testament, not to mention the Old Testament, um, of our relationship with God. Um, So yes, being in him, walking in him, seems to be 
what is involved with koinonia. Which brings me back to my in-laws in verse 7, right? Having fellowship with one another. So what does that mean? We are in one another. Again, we're not other Christians are not your crazy uncles and they're not your embarrassing in-laws. They're you. You are in them. They are in you. You are back to Stephen, as you were suggesting, back to Paul's metaphor of the body, right? Um, I'm not connected to you, my fellow believers, like I am connected with my brother-in-law. I'm connected with you like my index finger is connected to my thumb and middle finger, right? Um, that's seems to be the kind of fellowship that we're, that we're talking about. Um, so yes, Aiden says, um, right, unless my brother-in-law is also a believer, of course, Stephen. True, true. <laughs> right. That, and the, the, then the analogy becomes literal, right? Um, right. So Aiden says, what does it say then about your relationship with other Christians when they're not walking in the light? Yeah. Good question. And, um, Serena, this comes back to your point before about um, fellow believers fighting, hurting one another. Um, yeah, yeah, that's difficult. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, well, it means one thing. Here's the clearest thing that I think it means. The clearest thing I think it means is in as much as we are not walking in fellowship with one another. We are walking in the darkness. That's an uncomfortable truth, but I think it's an inescapable truth. Um, if you are fighting, resenting, if you are distancing yourself from, right? If you are either holding yourself distant from other believers or attacking them, you are walking in darkness. Now, Aiden, as you say, it is possible that you're walking in the light and they're walking in darkness. It, like, um, it doesn't actually take two people to fight, right? Um, a dispute um, can be caused by one person, in fact, right? Um, so I'm not saying that it necessarily means like if you are not unified with all believers around the world, then it's your fault. Like that's, that's not the logical conclusion there. Um, it is logically possible, Aiden, as you say, that like, uh, you know, what, what is the status of uh, believers who are not walking, who are walking in the darkness, right? Um, who are themselves not in the light. Um, and therefore, in that sense, outside of that fellowship with one another, which is contingent upon walking in the light. If we, plural, remember, walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We, plural, have fellowship with one another. Um, both of us have to be walking in the light in order for us to have this fellowship with one another. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I don't know what we do. I don't know what we plan to do. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, I don't know how to apply that exactly. 
we'll see some more examples of this. We'll kind of build this as we go. I want to, I want to kind of hold on to these questions because I think that we'll see more as we go through that will relate to this and will help us with understanding these questions. But, um, but again, the one thing is perfectly clear. Two people who are both walking in the light are in fellowship with one another. Um, and I do believe that that means in as much as I am at animosity, either again, withdrawing myself from or assaulting somebody else. I am not in fellowship with one another. Therefore, I'm, and, and therefore, clearly, I'm not walking in the light. We're not both walking in the light, right? Um, one of the things which for me was really compelling about this um, I've always been kind of a, I've always like, people being wrong bother me. <laughs> it's always been a problem of mine, right? I've always wanted to fight people. I always wanted to argue with people. I've always been quick to want to stand up and like speak up for what I think is true, right? Or speak up against somebody who's saying something wrong and hurtful and harmful to other people. Um, but that makes it sound so selfish and right, selfless and righteous on my part, doesn't it? Um, really, what I mean is if they disagree with me. Um, and that's always been a tendency of mine. That's always been a temptation of mine. Um, but you see, my, one of my biggest problems is that I never used to see it as a temptation. I never knew it was a problem. I never thought of it as a problem. I liked to think that I was doing a good thing that I was standing up for truth when I was doing that, right? When I was arguing with people or attacking people or whatever, right? Um, but um, I, uh, I have, that's where this verse especially has been really challenging to me as I've been working through First John, I'm realizing, okay, it's actually never okay. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is important, but you know, if I'm arguing with someone about doctrine, if there is hostility and anger, right, I can discuss things with people, but I can't fight with them. If I'm fighting with them, then my ego is involved. It becomes about trying to convince them that I'm right and they're wrong, right? Um, if I'm walking in the light and they're walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another, period, period. Nothing, that's what matters. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And I can't justify it. I can't, um, um, yeah, Aiden, I agree. Aiden says um, the thing that you know, Jesus prays about before he dies, let them be one like we are one, um, makes it clear that Christian unity is a huge deal to God. Absolutely, it absolutely is. Um, I don't think there is any justification. There is no justification for disunity in the church. That doesn't mean that there couldn't be other expressions. Like, I don't think that that necessarily means even potentially that denominational differences are like an e are, are evil. 
necessarily, right? That like we should all be the same denomination. So all we have to do is figure out which one is the right denomination, right? And then with all the rest, everybody else should join us, right? Um, it's probably mine, obviously. So, you know, whatever. Um, but you see the problem, right? That's exactly how this tends to go. Um, I don't even think so. I don't even think so. Um, I don't think there's any problem with people worshiping in different ways, you know, doing different things. Um, but uh, fighting over it is what matters, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not saying I have the solution to Christian unity, but I am saying John believes that Christian unity is inevitable if you walk in the light and somebody else walks in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. That same thing that you have with God. Again, transitive property, right? I said, book of John brought to you by the transitive property. Here it is, right? If I am one with God and you are one with God, then we are one with each other. QED, right? Uh, And he keeps it in those really simple terms. And to, I think one thing that's worth starting with, one thing that's worth acknowledging is that all of the other details. So what does this mean about like denominations and about, you know, um, disagreements and about um, it, it, it doesn't matter in in one sense. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, All of those things are aside. What matters is, if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, right? Um, and for me, as I have been working to internalize, and I'm not saying I'm fully there yet, but as I've been working to internalize this idea, I have found that it has begun changing the way that I look at other believers, other believers whom, frankly, I have looked at like the embarrassing in-laws that I really want to minimize the amount of time I spend with, right? Um, I'm not saying anything about my personal in-laws here. <laughs> okay, I'm not confessing anything about my personal in-laws here. But anyway, it's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's not like that, right? It's not like that. Um, so when I see... Um, too often Christians have come to see, been quick to accept other believers as enemies, essentially, right? Um, and um, you can't, you know, that, that there is no possibility of an us versus them relationship within the church. There is no, it can't happen. We are in fellowship with God and therefore we are in fellowship with each other. There is no us versus them. It's all us. It's all us. And that has to be the premise from which we approach anything that we do, any conversations that we have. Um, You know, I look around and, you know, Aiden, I'm coming back to what you're saying about being connected with people who are walking in darkness. Um, and I, 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 you know, I think I see that, 
There are definitely some Christians in, you know, that I feel like have, you know, I look at some public statements made by Christians and I say, I, you know, I'm not in fellowship with that. You know, I'm not in fellowship with that thing. Um, But again, the first temptation is to be an us versus, is to get into an us versus them situation there or mindset, right? Um, I'm distancing myself from that. I want to hold that all at arm's length, all those wrong and hurtful things, which I might be right. They might be wrong and hurtful, right? Um, I might be wrong about some things. Um, (coughs) Sorry, but look, I'm choking on the idea of my being wrong. Um, But that can't be, if I start from there, if I allow it to begin from there, if I'm thinking, if I start with that us versus them, right? Well, clearly they've established that they are over there and I'm over here, right? Um, And so their only hope is for me to talk them around to being like me, right? Um, Then I'm thinking about it fundamentally wrong, right? Um, It starts with there's, there's us. Now, I, I mean, again, I, I do think, you know, that, that people are walking in darkness and therefore lying to themselves um, in saying that they have fellowship with him. Um, verse six is a harsh truth for many of us, right? But again, that's not my business necessarily. My business is how how am i walking in the light and what does that look like right how did jesus act how did jesus handle this um so anyway um it's an important and a really challenging concept but our fellowship with one another our unity among ourselves is exactly by the construction of verse 7 exactly as inevitable a consequence of coming into community with God, of being in the light as being cleansed by the blood of Jesus of all sins. That's, those two things are parallel and that blows my mind. It blows my mind. It's not just you come into the light, you are cleansed from all sins and then hopefully good relations are established with other Christians thereafter, right? No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We are one. Um, And even at the very least, like this verse hasn't changed my mind about like, about the fact that again, when I, when I listen to some believers say things that I believe to be wrong and I believe to be hurtful and harmful to themselves and to others, um, it doesn't make me, it doesn't change my mind about that fact. I still think that, but it does change how I feel about it. Um, it, it, that is, I have to focus. I can't let myself start walking in the darkness, trying to correct or chase after them. Right. Um, first we have to do the if clause. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light first, we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. Um, so I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to do that knowing 
that in doing so, I'm in fellowship with others and I'm going to operate on that premise. And then we'll see. <laughs> then we'll see what happens. We'll see what that looks like. Um, but again, more and more, when I think back to arguments I would have or whatever, you know, in the, and just ways I would feel about things um, in, in the past. Right. Um, and it's easy for me to look back on that now and see, yeah, standing up for the truth becomes defending an egotistical stake almost immediately, almost immediately. Um, speaking the truth in love to someone is not as easy as a lot of people, I think, like to think it is, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, as I say, I'm still sort, sorting out what this means and how we deal with this. And Aiden, I'm specifically coming back to your point that I want like, what happens if others are not walking in the light? What do we do with them? What does that mean? Um, we'll come back to that. John is going to address that explicitly um, later on. So we'll continue to kind of build more on this subject as we move forward. Well, I'm late already. So let me stop there. Um, we'll continue with verse eight. We'll move into verse eight next time. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go back to lying again, uh, to lying in truth in verse eight. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to verse eight. Um, as I think, if we understand, if we look, if we read carefully verse eight and its relationship to five, six, and seven that have just come before, I think that it sets to rest some of the deepest, like both theological and logical concerns that people have about, you know, John's message here in first John. Anyway, thanks everybody. Uh, thanks for joining me and I should be back next week. Um, uh, so I look forward to being back with you guys again, three weeks in a row. How awesome is that? Thanks everybody. Bye now. Okay. That's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our March through first John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.